Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Experientially Speaking, a podcast from RedPeg Marketing. I'm your co-host today, Kohei Ito, joined by my good friend, Chris Guerin. Before we get to today's episode, an exciting interview with Cassie Hurley, Director of Events and Partnerships at National Landing Business Improvement District. A quick reminder to please subscribe to the Experientially Speaking podcast wherever you listen. If you like the show, please leave a comment and review. Now let's get started with our interview with Cassie. Good morning. How's it going? Good. So happy you're here. Um, I'll just start off by saying that I myself am a National Landing resident, so I live in Crystal City. I've been there for two years now, so I'm very excited to have you on here. I've seen a ton that's going on in the community already. So getting an inside look on what it takes to put on a lot of these events and all the planning, I'm really excited to learn more. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. So before we get into National Landing, let's talk about you, Cassie, just uh, your background. And I know you have a lot of background in event planning, but going back to places like the Arlington Chamber of Commerce Museum, can you just tell us the track on how you got to the role uh, where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm actually born and raised in Arlington, one of those rare local Arlingtonians left for college thinking I was never going to come back (laughs) and then immediately came back because I graduated during a recession, like I would imagine uh, most of us on here today. But yeah, so I moved back to Arlington into my mother's basement and I did pay rent. I was working at the front page in Boston and I landed a part-time job at the Columbia Pike Revitalization Organization as an events organizer there. And CPRO is an organization much like a business improvement district, but without the official uh, bid structure. We actually still work very closely with them here. They're kind of a sister organization to the bid. Um, And then I got another part-time job working at the Chamber of Commerce uh, as their events associate and slowly kind of transitioned to a full-time role there. The events director at the time, Kate, Bate became the president and CEO of the chamber while I was there, and she promoted me up to to her old position. So I worked there. uh, I was at the chamber for four years, and uh, I studied history in college, and what I always wanted to do was work in museums. And so uh, a a development position opened up at the museum, and part of my job at the chamber was actually, it was really a hybrid job. It was planning the events, but it was also finding funding for all of them. Uh, So I did all the fundraising, all the sponsorships all that stuff. So I took that experience and went to the museum to work on their development team and uh, did that for about a year and a half, a little over a year and a half. And actually, my mother was uh, meeting with Rob Mandel, who's the uh, now deputy executive director of the bid here about just their marketing needs and stuff. She has a PR firm based here in Arlington. And she just happened to mention that I kind of missed Arlington and I missed working in pure events. And, you know, I had I had learned during my time at the museum that my favorite things that that I did for my job was kind of supporting the events team on the develop the event side of the development team, I should say. And Rob was like, Yeah, have her send over her resume, like we'll talk. And we did. And a week later I had a job offer and here I am. No, that's that's awesome. And I mean, for people who may be listening outside of DC, so this area, well, and maybe people who are, who are in DC are wondering what exactly is in this area. So it's it's Crystal City, Pentagon City, Potomac Yard. Those are the three like if you look on like a Google Maps, right? Like those are the three kind of areas and neighborhoods that you'll see that kind of comprise this bid. Do I have that right? Just so. You do. Yeah. I always like to make sure, you know, uh, Potomac Yard, there's Alexandria neighborhood called Potomac Yard, the official national landing, and and particularly the bid, what the bid serves is the Arlington portion of Potomac Yard. So our boundary ends at the county line. 
Perfect. And then so and so people know that maybe you're outside of DC. This is right across the river from the district, but the accessibility, things like metro accessibility, all kinds of other things, car shares typically apply both in DC and over in the in the Arlington area. So it's just a really, really excellent new area where tons of business is coming in. And certainly like Kohei can attest to, and maybe we could talk a little bit more. There's just there are events galore. There are restaurants, there are shops, there are things going on. And and Cassie, I just wanted kind of in, in normal times and maybe in the during the pandemic as well. How how has your role kept the community thriving and kind of found ways to keep bringing people together, keep connecting people that are in the neighborhood? Because of course, as we know about DC, it's a super transient area. But once you come here, it's it's easy. I found it's easy to find kind of your your home and your neighborhood. How do you guys try to foster that kind of community in a in an ever changing landscape with people coming in and out, businesses coming in and out, etc. So the the main way we bring people together during uh, non COVID times is through a plethora of events. We do upwards of three hundred events a year. You know, a couple of years ago, I think my tally came in around three hundred and twenty five events. A lot of those are weekly events, weekly fitness classes, farmers markets. We actually have two farmers markets now in National Landing. Uh, one in Crystal City and one in Pentagon City. We have arts markets. We have a 26-week-long live music series that we do during the, the warmer months. Typically, May through October. This year, it will be June through October. Uh, Friday's the fountain. Um, and then we have larger one-off events like Oktoberfest or um, a fitness festival that we're working on with DC Frey for July. Super excited about that. Things to get, there's really something for everyone. The idea being that, you know, Maybe you are super into your dog. We want to do dog, but we did a Barktober or no, it was Halloween uh, that we did in partnership with a local uh, dog care and grooming company. And it was really fun to see all the dogs dressed up, but just things like that, something for everyone. We're working on some new concepts for the fall, a couple of new things for the summer this year, really trying to bring people back out in a safe way to celebrate the fact that we can all get together again and uh, hopefully give people something to look forward to. That's great. For a lot of your events, is it? are you planning events for the residents of National Landing or is it a focus on bringing people into uh, National Landing? It's definitely a mix. That's a question I get a lot. And I think more and more residents are engaging in the events. It used to be that about 75% of our event attendees were coming from outside of the district, the district being National Landing, not DC. Sorry, I feel like I need to be very careful about that. You have a larger audience than I'm normally talking to. But it's definitely shifting as more and more, honestly, as more and more young people move into Crystal City and National Landing as a whole, you know, we're getting a lot more local engagement, people that are moving here, because they knew of all the stuff going on, they knew there would always be something to do, especially seeing all the new restaurants that are opening and all the new events and activations. So when you're planning these events, if you have a lot of the residents in mind too, what are some of the key considerations you have when planning what type of event you're going to do? You know, you mentioned farmer's markets, uh, artisanal markets, Friday, uh, Fridays at the fountain, things like that. What goes into planning and also how far in advance do you plan these things? Now, that's, that last part's an interesting part of the question because it's very, very dependent. Sometimes plan something for the following weekend, depending on what's going on. Most of the time we're planning something far in advance, but you never know. Sometimes something really cool comes up and you just got to jump on it. But uh, 
as far as especially residential considerations, we always want to make sure we're being respectful of the people who choose to live here. And sometimes we're closing roads for 5Ks and for races. Sometimes we have live music. Sometimes we're closing off a park for an event and making sure we're doing it in a way that doesn't disrupt people's lives too much. People still need to be able to get to the grocery store. They still need to be able to get out of their parking garage. So making sure we're communicating with the, obviously a lot of our, most of our residents are in high rise buildings. So we rely very heavily on the property managers. I send out a monthly update to all of our property managers with all of the upcoming events. And I also send out if we're closing roads and things like that, I will send out very detailed maps and garage closures and things like that and special routes and sneaky ways you can get out of your building um, without crossing through the, the closed roads. There's a lot of surprise alleyways behind some of our uh, residential buildings. So providing people with a uh, escape route is part of my job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you go into a ton of just nitty gritty planning details, right? And tracking say 320 events a year well first off you probably don't sleep much but how do you what type of advice do you have for event planners to kind of stay on track make sure all the stakeholders are involved and you're constantly commuting with communicating with people to execute an event what type of tips do you have you know we use run of shows to keep us organized but what are some of the things that you do to stay organized i love run of shows especially for the larger events. I'd love to have time to do run of shows for everything. Having time to be able to even put together the organization um, of how an event's going to run is a luxury I don't always have. I rely on spreadsheets a lot. If I don't have time to to really get the detailed uh, run of show, I, ju- I have these great spreadsheets that my predecessor, Joe, came up with. Uh, he and, and Rob are Excel geniuses. And so they're all coded with the, you know, if this, then that, and time frames and knowing like backtracking for uh, if the event starts at this date or if setup starts this date, here's when you need to have all these permits in. So I use those because I can't do any of that Excel coding, but I rely on spreadsheets very heavily, even basic spreadsheets. The number one thing though, honestly, is having really good event partners, being able to rely on our local businesses, especially our small businesses to provide services for our events is huge. I did want to ask just because a lot of I feel like a lot of organizations or or groups that we talk to have like a select group of maybe, you know, five or six corporate sponsors that they work closely with and that produce and present a lot of their programming, whether that's in person, digitally, etc. But as a bid where really you're, you're working to benefit all of the businesses, all of the residents of those neighborhoods. How do you go about, I guess, maybe not picking which businesses you're going to work with on a day-to-day basis, but how do you how do you kind of firm up those plans and I guess calendar out how to equally serve, you know, small businesses, larger businesses that might be coming into the area? What's that process like in um, establishing things that get all the way down to, okay, we're gonna have an event here on this day at this time? That's a good question. And I think as far as uh, it goes for picking which businesses to work with, or, you know, how to equally benefit the small and large businesses. In my experience, if you are putting on good events that are bringing people in and supporting the small businesses directly, that is supporting the larger businesses. People talk about the rising tides raise all ships. I don't actually believe that when you're talking about raising the large ships. (laughs) But if you're talking about raising the little ships, the large ships will also benefit from that. It's my personal belief. That is not a statement from the bid. Um, 
feel like I need to uh, clarify that. But honestly, a lot of the partnerships and a lot of the ideas that we run with come from the community. I would love to take credit for all of our events and all the ideas, but that's just not really the case. A lot of the, the things that we do come from the business or residential community directly. And I try to spread the love around as much as possible. Try to turn up the love. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's the name of an art installation series we did over the winter. I told you, Chris, I'm on it. <laughs> I, I love it. I'll just, you know, I'm just going to sit back and we'll, we can, you, you know, you know, that area inside and out. We can just go from there. <laughs> and Cassie, you're the second part of your job in terms of partnerships. What did those look like? Is it a lot of the local businesses you're partnering with? I know one thing we haven't really talked about yet is... Amazon and coming into national lending with HQ2, which is probably <laughs> the biggest news, right? But what does uh, your second part of the job entail? Yeah, so the partnerships side of my job is funny. We It, it became official in my title um, within the last year, but it's always been a part of my job because in reality, you know, if you're thinking about opportunities for partnerships, most of those come from events and programs. And it's been a part of my job at all of my, in all of my uh, experience. So at the chamber, at the museum, at CPRO. And really the way I look at our partnerships as it relates to the event side of things, there are other partnerships that we that we have. But the way I look at most of our partnerships is, you know, the bid's not in it in events to make money. A lot of nonprofits that host events are trying to raise money. So that's kind of the lens that they look at for partnerships. The way I look at them is how to use those partnerships to enhance the event experience and also possibly bringing new business to our small businesses and our business partners. So when we're looking at sponsorships, I'm not saying like, oh, you know, give me 10, 25,000, and we'll put your logo on something. It's if you give me x, you know, if you cover the cost of xyz, we can have this really awesome activation as part of this event. So that's generally how I look at things. We also have partners that are not financial sponsors. Um, JBG Smith is the primary landlord here in National Landing. And we've they've been an amazing partner of the bid since our inception. They provide us with, well, so I'll back up. A lot of the public appearing space in National Landing is in fact privately owned open space. So the Crystal City Water Park, even Metropolitan Park, a lot of the little parklets throughout Crystal City in particular are in fact owned usually by JBG Smith, but they are operated and utilized as public space. So people use the parks, they don't have to, you know, pay JBG for the privilege or anything like that. It's a community benefit that they provide, but they allow the bid to use. We have license agreements with them so that we can operate events in their spaces. So that's huge. We couldn't do a ton of the events that we do if it wasn't for that ability. We've expanded that partnership structure to a number of our business, our property owners. Uh, Elcor, we created the, the grounds uh, over at the border of Crystal City and Pentagon City in 2018. And that was a, a parking lot that wasn't being used and is currently under construction to be a, an apartment building. Um, but in the interim, we actually turned it into an event and art activation space in partnership with Elcor. Uh, you know, No Kings Collective did a mural there. We had a light up seesaw art installation that we did with Creos. And then we had Oktoberfest there uh, last fall. And then the farmer's market, or excuse me, not last fall. Fall of 2019, obviously. Um, and then a farmer's market last year before uh, they broke ground. So being able to take those unused spaces 
Also, repurposing parking is an area where the bid has always excelled. If you're not familiar with the Crosshairs Garage Races, I highly recommend you look it up. It is, I believe, Washingtonian Magazine named it the best use of a garage that doesn't involve your car. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> Which I highly agree with. It's my favorite event. Using creative space like that, for especially for community events, I've always found... It, it, it seems like as a consumer or as a, as a resident, it seems like that's always where I tend to like have the most fun or, and it's certainly the most, it's certainly the most accessible, right? Like using empty spaces or maybe underutilized spaces that most times you would just see as an empty lot or a parking lot or a, you know, half of, half of a park, half of a place waiting to be developed, being able to kind of find a fun way to use the space and bring the community together, I think is just, it's, it's awesome. I feel like we see it all over this region and, and specifically in, in DC and in, in Arlington. So I think that's, it's a really creative way to use space as it's being, as things are growing, as things are being developed. It's always interesting to see the kind of things that can come out of just a parking lot or just a garage. Yeah, I totally agree. And just to close out on, on partnership generalities, uh, we've also we have three really wonderful civic associations that operate within the general boundaries of National Landing. And we work very closely with all three of them. That's Crystal City, Aurora Highlands, and Arlington Ridge. And we have partnerships with all three of those to you know, either support their programming and events or just to make sure that we're bringing the right kinds of events that they're interested in, that their residents are interested in to, to their part of the neighborhood. With 2020, with probably almost all events being canceled for you, and now 2021, a lot of events ramping up, what have you seen in terms of attendance? And I know you mentioned a lot of residents are coming out, but are people starting to feel comfortable now too? And what sort of safety guidelines are you still putting into your events? Yeah, so we did. We didn't have a single event uh, after March 4th. It was Crosshairs Garage Races. We had one week of races and it's normally five. And uh, the first case of COVID happened to pop up the day of the second week of races. I have been seeing people starting to come out. It was funny. We've been doing um, movies in the park every Friday. Uh, last week was our second week. First week got rained out. Always something that I have to worry about since most of my events are outside in the summer. So, um, But the first week we had about 85, 90 folks turn out. And last Friday we had 180. So people are definitely starting to come out. And I don't think it was necessarily an awareness thing. I think it was really, okay, the first week went well, no giant super spreader events. We have been requiring masks as you enter our events um, and get situated once you're with your group and you're seated. Uh, you know, you can remove your mask. We are in the process of discussing what we're going to, to shift to, um, especially as the governors, for those of you that don't know, Virginia, all restrictions and regulations will be lifted on the 28th. So we're trying to navigate, as are most of our businesses, uh, especially the retail and restaurants, what that looks like. How how do you require people to wear a mask if it's not actually required at the state level? So we're still working through that. In all reality, all of our events are outside, especially this year. I'm not going to be doing any indoor events anytime soon. So most of them allow, most of the spaces allow for a lot of distancing as well. Short answer is we're still working out what the regulations are going to look like as we continue on through the summer. But right now we're still on a mostly masked sort of situation. Right. It seems like that's what we're hearing from most people we talk to. And we're still tracking a lot of other events that are going on so we can have the right protocol and those plans for when we do get back out on the road um, very shortly. So very excited for that. We are also still keeping things relatively small. 
Currently, the cap on outdoor events is 250. All of our events are well below that still. So we'll see as things start to open back up and people feel more comfortable. But I feel pretty confident about the safety of our events. Can you remind me when you joined National Landing Bid? I have March 2018. 2018. Okay. So since then, there's probably been a ton of just growth and development here already. I I mean, I've been here for two years and I see construction just constantly going with new things popping up, new stores popping up. Mm -hmm. What's that like for you to kind of get in early as a, a new, I guess, district is growing and so many new businesses coming in. You said younger people are coming in and now Amazon probably set to open, I think, 2023. What is that like for you to kind of see all the growth firsthand and how cool is that? I mean, it's awesome. It's so cool, especially because, well, there is a lot of construction and a lot of change. It doesn't really feel forced if that makes sense, the businesses that are opening, everything, it still feels like Crystal City. It still feels like Pentagon City. It doesn't feel like, you know, they're changing the way uh, that people who have always lived here like the district to feel, you know, authentic, I think is the word I hear a lot. But it's really, I mean, for me personally, I'm thrilled. Like I said, I've lived in Arlington my entire life. I was so bad famous, but never really came to Crystal City. I occasionally came to Pentagon City to the mall, but even that, not so much. So being able to see the popularity of the area grow has been really awesome. And to get lots of fun new places to go after work is really nice. (laughs) New happy hour at the Freshman. Exactly. I mean, I'm sitting on top of it right now. My office is literally right above the Freshman. The baristas all know me now. Even with the mask on, they know they recognize me. (laughs) I got to get to your level. I thought I was going a lot, but I'm not uh, considered a regular yet. So I got to get there. <laughs> yep. Yep. The whole team there is great. And you know, there's there's tons of others like it. Bolero down the street has been great. And all the old classics as well. Highline, twenty third street crew, all the, the you know, Freddy, the sports club. Yeah, we had our, our company actually had a, a quarterly kickoff at the Highline right before it was our last kickoff that we ever did in person actually, which was a, a ton of fun. Yeah, I love the Highline. That place is great. All right. To wrap up, just wanted to say a couple quick facts about National Landing for our listeners. It's got nearly 12 million square foot feet of office space, approximately 5,500 hotel rooms and over 450 restaurants and shops. It's already Virginia's largest walkable downtown. And so like you said, we're in the the midst of some exciting transformation right now and uh, really excited to kind of see the growth. What are you most excited about, I guess, 2021 and beyond with events coming back and I guess that's probably what you're most excited about, but (laughs) what is, what is uh, kind of the future look like? Well, short term, definitely excited about the events coming back. Um, I'm excited about our growing team. We've pretty much doubled in size in the last year and a half. And I'm really thrilled about what we're able to do from an event and marketing standpoint, as well as from a kind of public realm transportation development uh, coordination standpoint. So really excited to see all of the new projects coming up. I'm obviously extremely excited about Amazon's development because of the amount of retail and open space it's going to provide. I was lucky enough to to see the, the Penn Place plans just the other day. And the amount of open public space that's being provided by both the Met Park project and the Penn Place project is insane. Um, and I can't wait to program all of it. That is, oh, I, mean, I will. I got just one last shout out for the airport bridge, though. That's going to be, I mean, game changer. No, that's uh, it's really cool. I'm personally excited for all the growth. I'm sure Chris will be moving out next week to National Landing. <laughs> I was Come just down. Say, I think I've heard the pitch and um yeah I'm I'm in Navy Yard now I'm in DC and so um yeah I've heard the pitch I'll be evaluating my options I'll be checking out 
Oh, and th- we should say that's a good place to plug nationallanding.org. And people can follow along on social media, right? Twitter, Facebook, yeah, Instagram. Am I missing anything at else? National Landing. Yep. Across all platforms at National Landing. Um, Perfect. And I will say we are closer to downtown DC than a lot of parts of DC. It's very true. Very true. As somebody who newly needs to metro over to Virginia, I'm very familiar now that it's it's very close. It's very metroable. You can get directly into the heart of downtown in what is it? Three metro stops or or less? Yeah, from to downtown DC to the ballpark to downtown DC yep. to a bunch of other like you know key locations. It's within five metro stops, depending on where in National Landing you're getting on the metro. Yep. Right, that's awesome. That's a great plug for people who are who are listening that do not live in DC or in this area. That is a huge, huge benefit. And walkable to an airport. I mean, come on. (laughs) It is amazing. All right. Well, Cassie, when as things do open up and our offices are back open, we're so close together. So we'd love to have you out here too. um, So you can learn a little bit more about RedPeg. But thank you so much for being here. Uh, Learned a lot from you and looking forward to all the growth. Thanks. Have a good one. Thanks, Cassie. That'll do it for today's episode of Experientially Speaking. Special thanks to our guest, Cassie Hurley. Head over to nationallanding.org and follow their social to learn more. If you liked today's episode and want to follow along, please subscribe to the Experientially Speaking podcast wherever you listen. If you've missed some episodes, be sure to catch up on our past conversations with interesting guests like Liz Brown, CMO of Little League, and Jeff Taylor from the NFL. Also, be sure to subscribe for a weekly Pulse newsletter on redpeg.com for weekly insights into the marketing world. This podcast is produced by Rashid Cole, and our digital designer is Colton Wright. We'll be back next week. Speak to you then.